Our guest speaker, because he was raised up here in our fellowship. I think he was here about eight years. But you know, you remember the story. You know, he he started volunteering to clean and be our janitor, and so he was cleaning the restrooms. And somebody said, "Hey, have you ever heard that Jim guy? Have you ever heard him teach the Bible?" I said, "Our janitor teaches the Bible." <laughs> Wow, I'd like to hear him sometime. So one day I was going to San Francisco for a, to run an errand, and I thought of asking him to come along, and he did. And I said, hey, I, I hear you street preach and teach the Bible. He said, yeah, I do. And I said, uh, why don't you just give me a little sample of it? We've got an hour to kill. you know." So, so he said, well, usually I just start. I said, no, no, just like start preaching like you do on the campus. You know, just start just. So he gave me his sermon. I was like, wow, this guy, it had substance, he had order, it was organized. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, he went from the janitorial service to on staff. (laughs) Uh, Little by little, raised him up. And I just really consider Pastor Jim uh, a son in the faith. I really do, and love you to death, and just so proud of the work that God is doing in you and through you guys up there. Well, let's come and tell us all about it. Don't. Now, some of you might get us mixed up because we look so much alike. Don't let the shirts throw you, all right? He's way better looking than me. False humility, bro, right there. All right, love you. Okay, hey, you know what? I will karate chop you, kid. I know, I know. This is full-grown man strength. You're still a baby. I know, I know. In his 30s. Well, good morning. It's good to be in church, amen? It's so good to see all you guys. Missed you so much. I am so grateful for this fellowship. So grateful for Pastor Ross and the entire staff at Calvary Chapel, The Rock, his wonderful wife. I mean, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. My life is so blessed. I am blessed beyond measure, and I owe it all to Pastor Ross, his mentorship, uh, the discipleship, the staff here, and really to all of you guys, your your prayers, uh, your support of us. Uh, We are just so grateful. For those of you who don't know me, I was on staff here from 2009 to 2016, and then in June 2016, we left the fellowship and launched a new one, uh, Calvary Chapel Willits, up in Mendocino County. We do have a few pictures to show you, Uh, so let's pull up that first picture, Zach, please. So that is our building. Uh, When we left the fellowship here, uh, we started at the Grange Hall in Willits. There was about 20 of us. We rented a room and a kitchen storage area. That was our church, sort of an afternoon Bible study. Then we graduated to the community center for a few months. And then we got our own space. We rented a physical therapy office and we transformed it into a spiritual therapy office. And that was awesome. And then something 
something uh, miraculous happened September of this year. Uh, we had been, we had established a relationship with another pastor in town. We sort of hit it off. He was bringing his son to the youth group and, and he was drawn to what God was doing in our fellowship. He was drawn to us and, and we were drawn to him. And so we just, through just conversating, he decided, you know, we want to dissolve our church and we want to join Calvary Chapel Willits and donate all of our property, everything that we have to Calvary Chapel Willits. So, you know, being a year in that community, we've only been up there a year and a half, we got our own building and we've got a couple other houses on the, on the property. What's really cool about this building, uh, a couple things. It is the oldest church in town, but at the same time, it's the newest church in town, right? And... It has a church bell, and I always dreamed of having a church bell. Even when I was on staff here, I was like, it'd be so cool if we had a bell, because I could dong the bell every Sunday. And look, God answered that. I didn't even pray. It just happened. Uh, he's so good to us. So, uh, you know, our church is, is growing slowly, but surely we have a couple pictures of what the inside of the facility give you a little bit of an idea. That's our sanctuary. There's Pastor Nick up there leading in worship. He's leading the service this morning. Another picture, please. Uh, that's our Christmas party. We have so many kids, so many high school and junior high students at our fellowship. God is blessing us. And I just want to say it's all because of you guys. It's all because of Calvary Chapel, The Rock, Pastor Ross, the wonderful staff here. We wouldn't be up there if it wasn't for you. So thank you all so very, very much. Now, are you guys ready to get into the word of God? Amen. Oh my gosh, that was pathetic. <laughs> Are you guys even Christians? Are you ready to get into the Word of God? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right, bust open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. For those of you who don't have your Bible, uh, the scripture is going to be up on the screen behind me. Uh, so while you guys are turning there, I'm going to pray and ask God for his blessing on our time in his holy word. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for your incredible grace to us, uh, your mercy, your loving kindness. Thank you for your word written by men, but inspired by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And, and so since it is your word, we know that it's profitable for our lives, that you wanna speak to us, you wanna teach us, correct us, rebuke us, you wanna train us so that we can do the things that you have called us to do down here. And so as always, Father, I pray that you would take my simple message and your Holy Spirit breathed word and make a difference in our hearts and lives today because it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, the sun is setting on 2017 and on the horizon is a brand new year. And for many of us, this is sort of the opportunity to push the reset button. It's an opportunity for a new beginning, an opportunity to sort of turn the page to get a fresh start. We call this a New Year's resolution. You know, you're, you're making a decision to sort of uh, upgrade your life, uh, uh, make some positive changes in your life. 
You know, and so some of the most common, uh, you find them on just about every list for New Year's resolution. So if you Google New Year's resolution, they've got all these lists that pop up. And these ones are, are pretty common. You know, people want to make changes to their health. You know, so I want to exercise more. I'm going to get super buff in 2018. And, and so gym memberships, you know, they go through the roof. Or, or I want to change the way I eat. Or, or you know, people want to change the, the way they spend their money, their finances. I want to, I want to spend less and I want to save more. Or People want to change how they sort of manage their time. I want to travel more. I want to get out more. I want to get in more. I'm never home. I'm never around the family. And so that's what a New Year's resolution is, making some positive changes to uh, our life. And those ones, they're all good, but there's one that really never makes any list, and it kind of baffles me because it supersedes them all, and that is this, to make your spiritual health a top priority in your life, to, to make focusing on your faith more your top priority, Fo- focusing on your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus, making that your number one priority, that your number one goal. I can tell you this, if you make that your resolution for 2018 to to live for Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, I can guarantee you this, that every aspect of your life is going to be enriched. Now, in our text this morning in Acts chapter 1, Dr. Luke is writing to a good friend, Theophilus, and he's telling him the story of the first Christians. And I find it uh, inspirational for my own life today, especially the first eight verses, because in these first eight verses that we're going to look at, I see three solid reasons as to why we should dedicate 2018 to serving Jesus Christ Jesus Christ, dedicate our time, dedicate our talents, and dedicate our treasures all to him and to his glory. So let's go ahead and dive in. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So three reasons why you should make living for Jesus your number one aim, your number one priority, your resolution for 28. The first reason is there's proof that Jesus Christ 
is alive. Look at verse number three. He says, after his suffering, and he's referring to his suffering on the cross. Uh, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus Christ is alive, as Luke so confidently asserts, then what else in this world, in this life, is worth living for? What else is there worth making your number one aim, your number one priority in this world? There is nothing that compares if Jesus Christ is alive. Now, if Jesus weren't alive, then there shouldn't be anything called Christianity. We shouldn't be sitting here. Christianity shouldn't even be in existence, right, if Jesus Christ wasn't alive. Christianity should have been put to death on the cross, right? Because Jesus, he was brutally executed back in the day, wasn't he? And ordinary people, you don't survive that kind of suffering. I mean, they scourged Jesus. You guys are familiar with that, the cat of nine tails, that whip embedded with pieces of bone and glass. Most people, they, they don't survive that. The loss of blood, Jesus was scourged. And then after that, they nailed him to a cross, nails through his hands, a nail through his feet. And then just, just to make sure that he was dead dead, they grabbed a spear and they shoved it into his side and it pierced his pericardium, that, that fluid-filled sac that surrounds the heart. It, it, his heart was broken and the blood and water came out. Ordinary people do not survive that. And so if Jesus wasn't alive, uh, then there should be no such thing as Christianity. Ordinary people don't survive a crucifixion. But of course, we know this, that Jesus Christ is no ordinary person, right? Just uh, last night, I work as a waiter in town, and, and somebody was talking to me about Jesus. They said, isn't Jesus just an ordinary guy? Wasn't he just the, the first person who walked on earth ever? And I'm just like, oh, man, dude. Dude, what am I dealing with? This is why I love you know, being in Willits, because nobody knows anything about Jesus. And so it's great. It's like, I'm, you know, I could tell him everything. And so I'm like, no, Jesus wasn't the first person who walked on earth. Jesus was a man, but he was God who became a man 2,000 years ago. He is the God-man. And that's what Jesus claimed all through the Gospels. I mean, I love John's Gospel because there Jesus is over and over again saying, I'm God, you know? You know, the God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush, you guys are familiar with the story. Back in Exodus chapter three, God is speaking to Moses on top of Mount Sinai, the burning bush and all that, and he's sending Moses back to Egypt to bust his people out of slavery, and Moses is freaked out. You know, I'm gonna go back to the Pharaoh, I gotta talk to the people. They're going to ask about your name, God. What's your name? What am I going to say? And God speaks and says, tell them that I am sent you. And so Jesus, he takes that and he says, that, that's who I am. I, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. I am the true vine. Over and over again, Jesus is claiming to be no ordinary person. Oh no, he is the God man. I love what he says 
in John chapter 2. He's speaking to the religious leaders. He says, hey, even though you're going to destroy this temple, this body, because I'm going to let you, right? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Even though you're going to destroy this body, even though you're going to, to kill me after three days, I'm going to raise it up again. I'm going to come back to life. Why? Because I'm God. I'm no ordinary person. Now, even Jesus' disciples, they thought, you know, after the cross, they thought it was all over, that Christianity was done. Of course, Christianity, they didn't call it that yet, but for the sake of our conversation this morning, they thought it was all over, and they thought they were next. Their Messiah, he was crucified, he was buried, and we see them in an upper room. We see the door locked because our text, not our text, but one of the texts in the gospel says they, they, they were afraid of the Jews. They thought that they were going to be killed next, and so they thought it was all over, but then something Truly incredible happens. It's the first of many proofs. Jesus, he shows up in the room. They don't hear a knock on the door, nothing. It's just Jesus, boof, here I am. Jesus alive, proving himself that he is the God-man. Now, to substantiate to them that, that he wasn't a ghost and that they weren't dreaming and that they weren't crazy, in Luke chapter 24, he says, here, go ahead and touch me. Go ahead, look at the wounds in my hands. Touch me, feel me, I, I have a body, I, I'm not a ghost. You're not seeing a vision, this isn't a dream. You haven't lost your mind. You know what, does anybody have any fish? I'll, I'll eat it right here, right now in front of you. You'll see it go into my mouth, but you won't see it drop to the floor because I am a real person. I am alive. So man, incredible. He, that was the first of many proofs to them that Jesus was risen from the dead. And these guys, they were so convinced. Uh, there was so much proof that Jesus was alive that they, they spent their lives making his name known. And they actually, many of them, gave their lives for Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe, uh, one of my favorite comment commentators because it's one of Pastor Ross's favorite commentators. And by the way, he discipled me. And so if this sermon goes sideways in any way, it's his fault, okay? So if you guys have any problems with anything I say this morning, if I'm too long or it doesn't make sense, that's the guy you can blame right there, okay? Warren Wiersbe, he says, if Jesus were dead, the church would be speechless because there would be nothing to sing about. We wouldn't have anybody to talk about. There would be no Jesus. Jesus would be dead, right? We wouldn't have any joy. We wouldn't have any peace. There would be no church. But for 2,000 years, the church has been singing. The church has been saying, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. And that's because Christianity is not simply an idea. It wasn't a group of religious guys, you know, who got back, got together back in the day, said, you know what, you know, I'm tired of this whole Judaism thing, so let's make up a new religion. Let's call it Christianity, and we'll call this guy Jesus, we'll call him our Christ, our Messiah. We'll say that he died on a cross and that he came back to dead. from the dead. It'll be awesome, and we'll tell everybody, and then we'll even give our lives for it. No. 
Christianity is not simply an idea, and it's not simply, it's not a dead religion of rules and regulations and restrictions. Oh, oh no, Christianity is so much more than that. Christianity is about a real relationship with a risen Savior, with a reigning Christ, with a real Messiah whose name is Jesus Christ. And that relationship is something that we get to enjoy here, now, Today, it's not something that we have to wait until we get to heaven to enjoy. It's like, okay, God says, you put your trust in Jesus, and then when you get to heaven, you get to talk to him for the very first time, and he speaks to you for the very first time. No, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you begin a personal relationship with him right now, here today, that lasts throughout your entire life and on into eternity forever and ever and ever, amen? Now, I remember uh, the first time that Jesus showed himself alive to me back in 2004 when I was 22 years old. I had never gone to church before. I had never heard about Jesus. I'm raising my right hand. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I couldn't tell you the difference between Jesus and Buddha or Mahal. I didn't know anything. And then I heard you know, the glorious gospel, the good news of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, all the blessings of the Holy Spirit, heaven, a relationship with God. I'm like, I'm in. I'll take that. That sounds pretty good. What do I have to do? Nothing? Okay, I'll have it. <laughs> so I went to church for the very first time, March 2004, a little church in Pacifica, California, Coastside Community Church with Pastor David Leopard. He's with the Lord now. And I remember going into the service and being like, wow, why have I never gone to church before? This is incredible. People were singing. They were clapping. I was like, yeah, this is great. At the end of the service, okay, uh, it was like the closing song or something. I remember uh, seeing someone in there uh, with their hands like this and with their eyes closed. And the thought came into my mind, uh, that must have something to do with worshiping God. I'm going to try that. And, And so I did. And so I closed my eyes and I raised my hands like this. And then all of a sudden I had some sort of vision experience where I wasn't in the church. I saw blue like the sky. And then I saw the Lord come down. And it's as though I could see him, but I could see right through him. And then in this experience, whatever you want to call it, I saw a dark shadow, like a black shadow. And then Jesus, in this vision experience, began to breathe out of his mouth. You know, like you're outside on a cold morning and you you see your breath? Well, that's kind of what it looked like. He began to breathe out of his mouth, and I saw his breath come out of his mouth and go into that dark shadow. After that, the next thing I knew, the pastor was on the stage praying to close out the service, and he invited anybody who needed prayer to come forward. And so my nana, uh, my grandma, she said, Jim Bob, you need to go up front and get some prayer. And this deacon there, uh, don't call me Jim Bob ever. (laughs) All right, I'll kill you. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Pastor Ross, threatening your congregants (laughs) with death. All right, okay. See, that's his fault. It's his fault. Anyways, that's the first time he showed himself alive to me, but that was like 14 years ago. I can't live on that. And really, he he doesn't do it one time. He's doing it over and over again, proving himself alive to us on a daily basis. Even recently, he showed himself alive to me by answering one of my prayers. 
When we moved up to Willits, uh, after a few months, we had to begin working, and, and there wasn't much of an economy. There's not much of an economy up there, and so I had to commute for work. I'm in the well, I was in the wellness industry. I commuted two hours one way to work and then two hours back, so 48, 50 hours a week away from the family, working to support, and then on top of that, studying for Sunday mornings, managing the fellowship, very taxing on my wife, on my children, on myself, very challenging time. And, and so recently, I began to sense that the Lord uh, was leading me uh, to take a step of faith and to, to put in my two-week notice at my job and, and to get a job in town, whatever it might be, even if it's a minimum wage job, just trust me, I'll take care of you. And it was terrifying to me to, to take that step of faith, not knowing what was going to happen. So I began to pray and think about it. And I thought, you know what? You know, I think I might be a really good waiter. I, I, I think I'd be a good server. You know, Jesus was serving food in the Bible, you know, so it's biblical. You know, feeding the hungry is biblical. I could do that. My mom was a waitress, so it's probably in my blood, so I could probably do it. And... Um, a guy at our fellowship, I was telling him, and he's like, you know what? We were just talking about you, and we thought you'd be a really good waiter, you know? And he's like, there's another guy at our church who works at the Lumberjacks in town as a waiter. You know, I'll give you his number. You call him, and maybe he can get you an interview. I'm like, that's a great idea. And so I got his number, and that day, uh, my wife, and she's back there. You can verify the story with her. Sorry, honey. Um, <laughs> My wife and I, we went, we were driving, we pulled into a, a local strip mall, and uh, I was like, I'm going to call him right now, honey. And so I busted out my iPhone, and I pulled up his number, and as I'm pulling it up on the window, and I look over, and it's the dude that I'm getting ready to call, and I'm like, whoa! And so I pushed the... Ask my wife. I was all dramatic like that, too. I rolled down the window, and I'm like holding the phone up to him. I'm like, dude, I was just going to call you. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah! And uh, sorry, I get really animated. Um, I am Italian. So I was like, you know, can you get me a job here? Can you get me an interview? So he got me an interview. The manager offered me a position. He said, okay. And I told him a little bit about the struggle I was having. You know, I had a good salary and all that. And I did, anyways, he said, come back on Sunday and let me know if you want the job or not. Okay, so Sunday came around and I was really struggling with the decision, but I decided, you know what, I'm gonna do this. So I went into Lumberjacks, I, I told the guy, I'll take the position, but I need two weeks from today before I can start because I wanna exit out of my current job in a professional manner. So he's like, that's totally fine. So Sunday night at like 11.30 p.m. that same day, I have my email typed out to my work, like my two-week notice, and I'm freaking out. I'm panicked, you know, because I'm going to leave this well-paying job for this job as a waiter. How am I going to take care of my family? And all along, I just sensed the Lord sort of leading me. It's going to be okay. I, I, I paid for your sins. I can pay your bills, Jim. It's going to be all right, you know? And so I'm like, all right, and so I pushed send, and then the moment I pushed send, I was like, okay, I felt this relief. I was like, I'm in your hands, God. I trust you. You got this. So the next day, Monday, I have to go to work, and uh, I arrived at work, and uh, you know, the, everybody said, was saying goodbye to me, and then on my lunch break, I came out, and the managers pulled everybody uh, together, and they said, the owners just came in. And the owners have decided that this place is just not profitable anymore, and they've decided to close the doors to this business on Friday. And I was like, praise the Lord! <laughs> Everybody else was all depressed and downcast, but I'm like, woo, yeah! 
You know, I had to tone it down a little bit. I was happy because God was showing me that he was alive and that he was working in my life, that he was leading me and that he was going to provide and take care of me. Jesus is alive, ladies and gentlemen. And he's, yeah, amen, come on. I know the rule at this church. If one person claps, everybody claps. We have that rule at Calvary Chapel Willits as well. So. Now, if Jesus is alive, what else is there worth living for, right? What, uh, what else is worth making your number one aim, your number one priority, your number one goal in life, but to live for him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength, amen? Amen. amen. So that's the first reason you should make uh, living for Jesus your New Year's resolution, is there's proof that he's alive. The second reason is that he has a promise of power. He wants to give power. Power to you. Look at verses four and five. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus promises power uh, to enable us to dedicate our lives in service to him. I mean, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by the first week of February. That's a statistic because most people stop going to the gym in the first week of February, right? And at the end of the year, only 8% of people are able to keep their New Year's resolutions. And why is that? It's because people lose the motivation. It's because they lack the power, their drive sort of fizzles out. It's kind of like a firecracker. You light it up, you're like, woo, and then it's gone. That's how it is. And it's very similar with the Christian life. If you attempt to live the Christian life in your own strength, in your own power, it's just It's just impossible to do. You can't honor the Lord with your mind and with your mouth and and with your manners apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. It's sort of like uh, trying to start a vehicle with a dead battery. You can hop in the car, yeah, I'm going somewhere, you know, put your seatbelt on, pop the key in the ignition and turn it over. But guess what? Nothing's going to happen because there's a dead battery. And so you need to be connected to an outside power source, right? You need a jump. And Jesus knows that about us as Christians and about our Christian lives. So he says, hey, I'll send you some help. I'll send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. I'll send him to empower you to live for me. Now, This is all interesting to me because here Jesus is talking about uh, these guys getting the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because they've already received the Holy Spirit, you know? They've already received the Holy Spirit, but here he's talking about them getting the Holy Spirit. So it's a little bit confusing. You guys remember in John chapter 20, it's Resurrection Sunday. Jesus shows up in the upper room and he breathes on the apostles and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. You know what happened when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit? They received the Holy Spirit, right? So they had the Holy Spirit at that time. So what in the world is he talking about? You're going to get the Holy Spirit, but they already had the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Well, I'm glad you guys asked because I'm going to tell you. Jesus talks about three different 
kinds of relationships that we can have with the Holy Spirit. Two of them, he describes in John chapter 14 and verse 17, he uses two different Greek words to describe the relationship we can have with the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, I'm going away, I'm going back to where I came from, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. He has been with you, and the Greek word there is para. He has been with you. That is the first relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. And every person on the face of the planet has that type of relationship with the Holy Spirit. He is with everybody. His ministry is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. In other words, he's trying to convince people in their hearts to open their eyes and see the world as it is, sinful and in need of Jesus Christ. So everybody has that first relationship. He is with us. Then Jesus says, not only is he with you, but he shall be in you. That's the second relationship you have with the Holy Spirit. It happens when a person gives their life to Jesus. When you call upon the name of Jesus, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for me, and that you are alive. The moment a person does that, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit of God comes to then live inside of your heart. It's at that moment that you are born again, born of the Spirit. You become a new creation in Christ. So not only is the Holy Spirit with you, he now lives inside of you. And then there's a third relationship you can have with the Holy Spirit found in verse number eight. He says, and the power of the Holy Spirit shall then come upon you. A different Greek word, epi, the power of the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. This is a secondary experience. It's distinct from conversion, sometimes referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or to be clothed with power from on high, or the filling of the Holy Spirit as well. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we see what happens when uh, people are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Uh, if you look at Acts chapter 2, the early disciples, they're just sort of hanging out. They're not really doing anything special. They're just sort of gathered together, kind of like we are this morning. And then, then all of a sudden, uh, they hear this sound the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then they see these tongues of fire rest upon everybody. And then the next thing we know, we see Peter, who 50 days prior to this event in Acts chapter two was denying that he knew Jesus at all. But then the power of the spirit comes upon him and he's no longer denying, but he's declaring to everybody that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we see the apostles who, who were hiding from the Jews now standing on rooftops, hailing to everybody that Jesus Christ is indeed resurrected from the dead. And so the, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon these guys and they are absolutely transformed. Now, I think it's fitting that wind is used to illustrate the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it. Wind comes from heaven. Uh, the Holy Spirit, he comes from heaven. Wind is, is sort of everywhere. And the Holy Spirit, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. The wind is sort of all-powerful. 
the Holy Spirit. He is omnipotent. He is all powerful. Uh, there's an endless supply of the wind. It's, we're never going to run out of wind. And so too, the Holy Spirit has an endless supply of power. Now, I was reading an article in uh, Science News for Students. I don't like the science articles for grown-ups because I don't understand them and they're really boring. Uh, so I like the science articles for kids because I can actually understand what's going on there. If you're a scientist, I do apologize to you. I'm not making fun of you, I'm making fun of myself, okay? Now in this article, he's talking about the power of the wind and I quote, he says, if we just tapped into the power of the wind, we would have 15 times more energy at our disposal to, to power our lives, to, to create electricity that would sort of light up the world. And then he goes on to talk about how we can do that through the use of wind turbines. You guys know what a wind turbine is? You see them between, on the Altamont Pass between uh, Tracy and Livermore, like 100 feet tall, and these huge fan blades that kind of span out like this. Now, what are those wind turbines doing? Nothing. They're just kind of sitting up there on the hill. They're not creating a single watt of energy at all on their own. But then something begins to happen, right? The wind. The wind begins to blow. And as the wind begins to blow, those fan blades catch the wind. They begin to spin and they create energy that lights up the whole world. Now in Acts chapter 2, these guys are, are kind of like wind turbines, if you will. They're not doing anything. They're just sitting there. I mean, you read it, they're not doing anything. They're just sitting there. They're not producing a single convert on their own. They're not making a single disciple on their own. And then something happens, right? The wind begins to blow. And these guys catch the wind. And the next thing we know, the world is lit up with the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God wants to do the same thing with your life today. He wants to empower you to live for Jesus Christ with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength in 2018. He wants to give you the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And you're saying, well, I, I want that power. I, how do I get that power? I want that power. Do I have to do something? Do I have to give something? What does it take for me to have that power that they had back then? Well, you just do what they did. Just, nothing. Just, just be like a wind turbine. Stick your arms out, which is an act of surrender, and say, Lord, here I am. I can't do anything on my own. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you fill me with your spirit? And Jesus says, yes. I will do that. I will empower you gladly because that's really his invitation in the gospel. So the Father will gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so my encouragement to you guys is to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first two reasons as why we should live for Jesus in 2018. First, there's proof that he is alive. Second, he promises power so that you can live for him. And then finally, uh, the final reason is he has a plan for you in 2018. He has a plan for each and every single one of you this upcoming year, just like he had a plan for these guys back in AD 33. Verse eight, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, not only did these guys have the incomparable privilege and joy of knowing Jesus personally, they also had the great honor of making him known. Not only did they get to know the God of the universe personally, they also got the honor of making him known to those in their sphere of influence. I mean, if you had the most precious treasure on earth, would you keep that to yourself? I mean, would you, would you keep it all to yourself? Would you, would you hide it from everybody? Would you put it in a vault behind a picture on your wall and not let anybody in the whole world know that you had it? No, you would display it. You would let everybody know, I've got the most precious treasure on the face of the planet, the crown jewels, right? The most precious treasure on the face of this planet. They've been around since like the 1600s. Those babies are sacred, right? And they're, 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 not, they're not hiding them from the world. They're protecting them, right, from the bad guys in the Tower of London, but they're displaying them to the world. Look at, look at this precious treasure that we have. And people can come from all over the world. Thousands and thousands of people every year go and visit the crown jewels. Now, Jesus... His supremacy far exceeds anything that this world has to offer. And you and I, as his kids, as his people, as his, as his believers, we get the great pleasure of sort of showcasing Jesus to the world, if you would, like a diamond. Look at this faucet of Jesus. Look at that aspect of, isn't he glorious? Isn't he marvelous? Isn't he wonderful? It's a great honor and a great pleasure that we get. Now, his plan for these boys uh, back in the day was to impact the world. You're going to impact the world, but it's going to start in your own backyard. It's going to start in your own sphere of influence. It's going to start in Jerusalem, your hometown, and then it's going to spread to the ends of the earth. And, And I believe that's his plan for your life, for each and every single one of you here this morning who trust in Jesus Christ. His plan for your life in 2018, I believe, is to impact the world, to to change the world. And you might be thinking, me? How am I going to impact the world? I'm not not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm none of that. Matter of fact, I'm a working dad. I work 48, 50 hours a week. I don't got time to tell everybody in town about Jesus or get on a plane and go to India or Africa or wherever else. I can't impact the world. When I get home, I'm tired, you know? (laughs) I want to watch Blue Bloods. I want to relax, you know? (laughs) Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. You know, you don't even know what day it is because your kids are everywhere and you're just razzled all the time. You know, how am I going to impact the world? I got to focus on the kids, you know? Or maybe you're a student, you know? I got to go to school eight hours a day and then I get home, I got a curfew. Mom's not going to let me go to Africa. I can't impact the world. Or a retiree, and you're like, I, I just don't get around like I used to. There's no way I, I can impact the world. Well, if that's sort of your mindset, I, I think that you're looking at it uh, wrong. Because what Jesus does is he takes the simplest and smallest and, and, and seemingly insignificant act of service that you offer to him. He takes that, uh, the, the, that simple, small, uh, seemingly insignificant act of service that you offer to him in your own backyard, in your own sphere of influence, and he uses that to impact the world. What do you mean? Well, it's like when you take a little pebble, 
You take a little pebble and you drop it into a pond, there's always going to be ripples that sort of spread out. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does with your little offering to him, your simple act. There's a a guy in the New Testament that that many Christians are just unfamiliar with. Like if I said his name, you'd be like, who is is that? It's, It's because he's obscure. He didn't lead any evangelistic missionary trips. He didn't have any crusades. He didn't plant any churches. His name isn't on any of the books in the New Testament, but his one small, simple act of service, his little pebble that he threw into the pond sent ripple effects that changed the world and that are even impacting your life today. His name is Ananias. His story is in Acts chapter nine. What did he do? He just said a prayer over someone. One simple prayer, one word of encouragement changed the world. If you read the story, it's the story of Saul of Tarsus the murderer of Christians. He's on his way to a city named Damascus up north to kill Christians, to arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem so they could go on trial and be done, right? And on his way, Saul has an encounter with the risen savior, Jesus. And and he gets knocked off his horse, if you would. He's blinded and he becomes a Christian right there on the spot. And so the people who are with Saul, they lead him by the hand to Damascus. Now, this guy, Ananias, in Damascus, he's a Christian, and God speaks to him in a vision and says, Ananias, I've got a job for you. What do you want me to do, Lord? There's a guy named Saul coming into town. I want you to pray for him. He's like, no way, Lord. That guy's crazy. He's coming here to kill me. I don't want anything to do with him. And God's like, no. He's a Christian now. I want you to pray over him and and, and speak into his life. And so Ananias does that. Saul shows up. Ananias just says a simple prayer and says, hey, God's got a plan for your life. That's all he does. That's all he does. And what happens to Saul of Tarsus? He becomes Paul the apostle, the greatest Christian missionary and evangelist, in my opinion, in Pastor Ross's opinion, that the world has ever seen. It can all be traced back to this guy, Ananias, in his own backyard, in his own sphere of influence. He's not out doing missionary trips. He's at home, and he just prays over someone, and God uses that little pebble to send ripple effects that are still impacting people's lives today. Another uh, obscure Christian that you're probably, or perhaps you're unfamiliar with, in 1855, his name is Edward Kimball. Now, he was a volunteer Sunday school teacher, and one of his students, uh, he had a real heart for this kid because he wasn't saved yet. And so one particular day, he decided the kid was 17 to go to this kid's uh, place of work. He was a, the kid worked at a shoe store, and so he went to the shoe store, and he poured out his heart to the kid, just telling the kid about Jesus and his love for him, and the kid ended up becoming a Christian, and that kid's name was D.L. Moody, or Dwight L. Moody, one of the most famous and effective evangelists that America has ever seen, leading 100 million people to the knowledge of Jesus. And he even started a Bible college, Moody Bible Institute, the Bible college that I attended. 
Now, D.L. Moody went on to influence a guy by the name of F.B. Myers. Now, F.B. Myers was a pastor who never talked about Jesus. I don't know how you could be a pastor and not talk about Jesus, but I guess it is possible. Well, somehow, D.L. Moody got an invite uh, to F.B. Myers' church, and, and through all of that, F.B. Myers got saved and became a Jesus lover and a Jesus freak and ended up writing books and writing commentaries, one of which I study on a regular basis at my fellowship. Now, F.B. Myers went on to influence a guy named J. Wilbur Chapman, and he started these sort of evangelistic crusades and ministries and things like that. And at one of his events, a professional baseball player came by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday got saved, and he was so moved that he decided to quit pro baseball altogether and become an evangelist, a very famous evangelist back in the day. Now, his ministry ended up influencing a gentleman by the name of Mordecai Ham. And so Mordecai Ham started his own sort of evangelistic crusade, sort of traveling around and holding these uh, meetings. And he decided to hold one of these meetings in North Carolina. And at one of these meetings, a young, tall, skinny, blonde-haired kid was invited. He really didn't want to go. He was sort of reluctant to go to this church service. And as he walked into uh, the tent or into the sanctuary, it was a full house, kind of like this. And he's looking around. There's no seats available. I mean, that was his out. And so he's trying to sneak out of the service, but an usher was there and said, oh, no, no, I'll find a seat for you, kid. So that kid gets a seat and that kid gets saved, and that kid, we know him as Billy Graham, the kid who has preached the gospel to everyone on earth, under the earth, above the earth. I mean, he's told everybody about Jesus Christ, but, but that all began, right, with one pebble that a volunteer Sunday school teacher threw into the pond and sort of capped off by this usher who made Billy Graham sit down in the church service and listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, one pebble, right? Praise the Lord. One pebble into the pond in your own backyard, in your own sphere of influence, it can change the world. One invite to church, one prayer uh, for a neighbor, a, a classmate, a, a coworker, that can change the world. God can use that. You put that in his hands and watch what he can do. His plan for you in 2018, I believe, is to impact the world. And it starts right here in your own backyard. So why should you make living for Jesus Christ your New Year's resolution in 2018? Three reasons. One, there's proof that he's alive. And if Jesus is alive, what else is there worth living for? Two, he makes his power available to you so that you can live for him. And numero trace, he has a plan for your life. And so it's a win-win, amen? amen? Let's pray. Father, we wanna thank you this morning for a wonderful time of fellowship, a wonderful time singing to you, and a wonderful time hearing from you in your word. And now I pray uh, that you would help us to uh, not forget the things that we have heard today. Help us to make application to our lives. Help us not to have spiritual amnesia. Write these truths on our hearts so that we can remember and reflect and apply them to our lives. And now, Father, as we stand to worship, I pray that you would continue to minister to us as we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.